sit and join the shade. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Drink the drink that I have made. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Drink in the Style, brought to you by Habitation Design and the District of Dinah. I'm your host, Gregory Rich, and as I used to say, I'm going to help you kill your early evening with some booze and conversation. Tonight's theme, genius. Maybe even double genius. I'm not exactly sure. We are joined by Tina Wilcox, and I don't even know where to start in introductions for Tina, CEO of one of the most prestigious and successful marketing firms in Minneapolis history, animal rights activist, collector of medieval and Renaissance tapestry, jewelry and curiosities, and most recently, author of Conscious Kingdom. I promise you, this is the most beautiful book you will ever see in your life. Tina, hi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Is that a good intro? Did that wow. work? Wow. <laughs> I want to record that and when I'm feeling blue, you know, just play it over and over again. All part of the service to you, my dear. Thank All you part so of much. the service. Coctology this evening. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. We have none other than famed and, and respected furnishing master, artist, and all-around bon vivant, a talkative man if ever there was one. We are joined once again by Carter Averbeck. Carter, how are you? I'm doing swell. Swell. That is... Yeah. Swellish. You're swell swellitude. Swell You're more. full of swellitude. I am. <laughs> I'm glad everybody could be here for the final episode of Drinking the Style before I'm taken off the air. I'm just kidding. Okay, so we uh, have Carter back in, and he is going to do some uh, some coctology for us. Sitting in the Dan Newkirk Memorial Coctological Chair, Carter, what have you got in mind? So in honor of Tina's heritage, I'm making Italian margaritas. I love the sound of it. I absolutely love the sound of it. Uh, tell us first what's in it, and then we'll hit it up with some very special mixing music. Well, um, it's a variety of things, as it should be. So we've got some uh, basic margarita ingredients, which is uh, tequila, of course. of course. We've got orange juice, but then we're... Um, Adding some other interesting things other than just lime, because it's usually tequila, lime, and then some fruit drink. Correct. But we're also adding in amaretto as well. And that's where some of the uh, Italian, <laughs> I know people hate that, <laughs> Italian. It's very Minnesota. <laughs> Thank you. It is. Italian um, aspect comes into play. Good for you. Uh, yeah. Tequila and amaretto. I have never considered before and before we go to mixing i just got to say the midwest thing i understand this there are not a lot of italians in minnesota what tina there are like 17 of us i think so yeah yeah, yeah roughly yeah. roughly and by the way gino give me a call back um and no restaurants oh don't even no, no. you got one i've got three you've got three seriously mm -hmm. call and them they're up. the real deals so italian eatery is one of them Never heard of it. Where, Where is, is it? that? Oh, my God. They're amazing. So they're on like uh, fifth, uh, near Hiawatha and Cedar. So hmm. Okay. Um, and then let's see. Uh, 
Oh, now I'm drawing a blank. I'm going to have to drink to get the other ones. But all of them make their pastas on site that day. And that's rare. That's the secret. Have you ever gone to Cosetta's Primo? Cosetta's does that, too. Cosetta's does, absolutely. Primo in Long Lake. That's probably the closest. Agreed. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. But IE gets awards nonstop. Their food is bar none amazing. Okay, this is the true test, though. Yeah. What color is their sauce? Oh, I know you're going here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I don't know. I I eat everything there, so. But everything is made fresh. And how do I know this? No. I designed the restaurant. You can't get out of this. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not Italian. So but, there's red sauce. There's white sauce, and there's green. Oh, we're not talking about white or green. What color is the other sauce? I don't know. Red. Nope. Are we going to go with orange? Well, no. <gasps> Sugo, which is, I mean, it's the Italian word for sauce, but mm-hmm. real Italian sauce mm-hmm. is brown. Yeah, orange to brown. Yeah, there's, I mean, although it depends on what part of Italy. I mean, if you're going right. up more there's in, or, orange. into the Sicily it's zone, like, it's, mm-hmm. Yeah. Orange there's, there's is. There's this orange. Mm-hmm. But Tuscany mm-hmm. is, that's where my family is from, is Brown. Exactly right. Yes, yeah. you're right because it, it, it also depends on the tomatoes and the and the and right. the ripeness of the tomatoes based on well, geography. Right. The and owners of IE is Eric and Vanessa Carrera. Mm. All right. You can't get much more Italian than that. Yes, you can because my name is really Bettina, mm-hmm. and my mother's name is Francine. So I've always wanted to put those two names together. So Francini became my last name. Okay. You know, Bettina Francini. That's beautiful. My name used to be Rossigliano, which was a beautiful name that my father changed. And my daughter, Sophia. Now tell me that wouldn't be just the most beautiful name. Sophia Rossigliano. It's like Godfather. I know. (laughs) Agreed. Uh, all right. See, once again, this is an educational program. People don't appreciate it, but actually, I believe you guys write this off as a PSA, don't you, Johnson? Okay, outstanding. All right, we need a drink. For the love of goodness, the Italian margarita. Let's mix it up. All right. Tell us what you're putting in and the amounts. Well, behind door number three is a little donkey. amaretto mixed in with the orange juice and some tequila in a shaker with a little bit of ice, but the other ice was steeping in it earlier, which is now in our salt-rimmed glasses. And you are a master of salt-rimming glasses. When I think rimming, I think Carter Aberback. Me too. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) We can edit this thing in post-production, right, Johnson? All right, so you've put together the uh, Italian margarita. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, there is a reason we're using Eye of the Tiger. Don't worry, we're going to get there. All right, you've mixed it up. You've got them in rocks glasses with rocks. Uh, as a margarita goes, this is a very orange margarita. Oh, hold on. Okay, it should be brown. It. <laughs> That's <laughs> Italian's demand. All right, and uh, I should say, Carter, as a good friend and a man who knows me, gave me an extra shot of tequila amaretto. So, there it is. Uh, Johnson will get one for you in just a moment. Don't worry, I never forget about you. But otherwise, ladies and gentlemen, salute. 
Let's have some swallowing music. It's delicious. It is. It is delicious. You know what? I'm going to make a suggestion. I far be it for me to ever second guess you, guess you, Carter. But have you ever considered putting in a little bit of egg white in this? Oh, no, I was. It makes it. It emulsifies the drink beautifully. It gives you a fabulous little foam on the top, and the chances of salmonella are, you know, relatively small. Mix that with COVID. I bet it's pretty good. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we call this drink the 2020. <laughs> no, this is very good. This is fresh. This is mm. delicious. It's not too tart. And again, the rimming thing, we, we, laugh, we laugh about that, but it's important. And the thing is, and this drives me crazy at restaurants, why do they rim a glass and then give you a straw? I mean, if you ever see a Bloody Mary, no they sense. do that. It makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's not ornamental, people. It's an important part of the cocktail. Mm-hmm. I right. would make a straw out of salt. Oh, see? You could kind of rim the salt, I suppose, or the uh, straw, but uh, that is a great idea. Patent that. It is. No. <laughs> I'll do it during this whole thing. I'll have it all done by the end. Oh, fair enough. All right. This is delicious. Uh, this is recommended. This may go in our upcoming cocktail compendium, which we'll be re-releasing uh, next year. And uh, by the way, we're going to, those of you who've been listening for a long time, remember we had the cocktail compendium back in 2019. 2020 was a disaster, as was 21. We're going to be re-releasing it, and proceeds of the book are going to go, by the way, to charity. So uh, I'll keep you guys informed. All right. Tina, Carter, I have a very quick random, not random question. Are you ready? And this is animal. This whole show is going to be animal, humane treatment of animals and such. But within the entire animal kingdom, Bettina, mm-hmm. of all the animals, mm-hmm. which would you least like to be? And you cannot say dung beetle. Uh, I would least like to be a bat. A bat? Why? I I love every animal, insect, anything that, you know, carries life on this planet. Mm-hmm. I am terrified of bats. Really? Have you ever thought of them as mouse angels? No. <laughs> I've thought about them as screaming bloody murder and running into my daughter's closet and putting a vintage bathing cap on and grabbing a tennis racket to shush it out the window because I would never kill it. But no. I've had to do the same thing. We had a bat in my fraternity house once, and I completely suited up to chase this thing out. I mean, if you want to see a group of drunken college guys in a pure panic let a bat into the space because oh yeah they're terrified but i love bats i actually my neighbor has a bat thing on his tree mm-hmm. um, bats eat mosquitoes they eat the stuff mm-hmm. we don't like mm-hmm. no i mean they're really good for the environment i mean mm-hmm. and they're an important part of the ecosystem it's just that i'm afraid of them Something Probably speaks they're to you. Flying, and they have sharp teeth. They, have, they mm-hmm. have fangs, mm-hmm. and they—I um, don't know if this is a myth or truth—but I used to have really, really long, thick hair, okay. and 
I'm just so afraid that they're going to dive into my hair. I mean, people say they dive into your hair and wind up in it. Yeah, and, which would be terrifying. Oh. I mean, it, that should be an expression of some kind. What's the problem? You got a bat in your hair? <laughs> I'm gonna, Johnson, can you flag that somehow so that I, I remember that? All right. Outstanding. So, <laughs> Carter, very quickly, Animal Kingdom, who don't you want to be? Anglerfish. Really? I mean, they're the laziest of fish. They just sit around and wait for somebody to come over and then gobble them up. What's wrong with an anglerfish? They're ugly, and they don't get dates. All right. I, I can accept that. Actually, interestingly, do you know how an anglerfish actually does procreate? procreate? Yes, I do. All right. We'll leave that for a discussion at a later time. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we should take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about treating animals humanely and ways that we can uh, contribute to that. We'll be right back. Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O And on this farm there was a chick, the prettiest chick I know With a little curve here and a little curve there This chick, she had curves everywhere Old MacDonald Ladies and gentlemen, is there anything that Frank Sinatra could not do musically? It's said that he, he made a bet that he could turn Old MacDonald into a pop song pop at the time. And, man, did he nail it. Absolutely love it. We are drinking the style. I'm your host, Gregory Rich, and I'm speaking with Tina Wilcox and the insanely verbose Carter Averbeck. <laughs> Tina, welcome back, and I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. Before we dive into some stuff, I usually don't do this, but I want people to know a little bit about who you are. Talk about your history and your background. Uh, let's see. I am not from the Twin Cities, but close by. I grew up in on the Italian east side of Milwaukee. Okay. My... <laughs> my um, my mother primarily is the Italian, and um, so I grew up in a very typical Italian family. Which is wonderful. Um, you know, chaos. <laughs> and screaming, a lot of chaos screaming, and really crying, you know, just, I, I, I mean, just, you know, 400 people at our house on Christmas. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, my background is that I am a designer and I'm also a writer. I worked in the Twin I've worked in the Twin Cities for, gosh, longer than I want to admit, but probably forty years. Mm -hmm. um, I've uh, owned two agencies, um, mm -hmm. and uh, the the two agencies um, I I really love retail, and so. The agencies were primarily working with retail clients. And the firms were Black? Black one. and Fame. And Fame. Yes. Okay. And those were firms that, I mean, you did a lot of West Coast work as well. You were kind of a bridge All over. Yeah. from Minneapolis mm -hmm. to the West Coast, among other places. Right. Right. Uh, we helped, you know, mass merchandisers like Target and Walmart all the way down to startups and everything in between. 
Yeah. Um, Again, folks, if you if you don't know, these were these huge firms, impactful firms in the Minneapolis market. So I mean, that is fabulous, and we'll talk some. Maybe if we have time to talk about the black tip shark experience. Oh sure, (laughs) I love that story. (laughs) But yes, so you did that for a good long time, Mm -hmm. and now your passion is uh, humane treatment of animals. Correct. Right. I've worked in animal welfare for a long time, and um, really, uh, the focus for me is to alleviate animal suffering. And the humane treatment of animals is very, very broad. The topic is very broad, and there's so much to do. And um, it kind of segments down to not only you know, puppy mills, which is what people think of when mm-hmm. they think of inhumane treatment. By the way, there's still 10,000 uh, operating puppy mills in the Seriously? United States. Yeah. At this point? Yep. Wow. And, uh, but also, you know, working toward uh, better laws in different states, uh, legislation, working with, on the political side to, you know, have uh, just, you know, an understanding of how deep the problem is mm-hmm. um, to, you know, the everyday stuff, um, like just the homes of, you know, people that are families where the parents don't uh, educate their children all the way through to, um, you know, strays and, uh, you know, dog fighting and, uh, you know, People who neglect animals, um, and, that and they're still kind out of thing. there. Yeah, they really are. are. I've often said that you know I always have supported. We've always had ki- uh, animals uh, growing up as I was a kid, and with my children because I think animals teach empathy. You start to oh, understand yeah. that there are beings that are thoughtful, aware that you have to treat properly. But conversely, within the hostility, you know, it, for those who do not treat animals humanely it it is a mark of i'm sorry it's a mark of evil it's a mark of true evil to not realize that this is a sentient aware thinking feeling creature well there's a lot of data that supports what you're saying and if you can catch children at an early age and really educate them about humane treatment they are less likely when they grow up to be uh, an abuser. It's always the big question, right? Or the thing. I mean, as soon as you see a kid torturing an animal, you know that that's something really wrong. Something is absolutely terrible. Right. And the other thing is, is that uh, animal abuse is associated to um, a lot of really, really bad criminals. I mean, in their, you know, psychology, they basically... um, have tortured animals mm-hmm. before they've, you know, done horrible things to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so anyway, it's... It's the psychopath starter kit. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And th- there are... <laughs> I know, that was a terrible <laughs> that, thing to say, but no, it, but it, it actually true. is true, isn't it? It's very true. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also talking, when we talk about, you know, the humane treatment of animals, we're talking about the inhumane treatment of animal testing, um, especially in, 
you know, big pharma and the beauty industry mm-hmm. um, and, you know, raising the awareness of just the general population to read labels and to avoid buying products where they're still doing animal testing. It, it's absurd. And, you know, I mean, it, 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 so I have a warm spot in my heart for beagles. One of my favorite animals of all time was my beagle boswell great guy called him the boy i miss him to this day he, he, he we had to put him down 15 years 10 years ago and he's still there and beagles who are the sweetest kindest dogs in my opinion are the most commonly used animal in medical research because one they have kind of barrel chests so it makes it easy but second because they're so sweet that they don't bite the people who who are are doing tests on them and how horrible is that Well, they suffer. And, you know, a question from animal welfare people is always, can you still test and alleviate the suffering piece of it? I mean, why can't you, you know, use something on an animal so they don't feel the pain and still do the test? Mm -hmm. The response a lot of times is, uh, you know, well, the interaction of, the actual medication that would take away the pain mm-hmm. and what we're testing, you know, doesn't give us accurate results mm-hmm. in the data. But really what it is, is it's more expensive. Right. I mean, and that is so horrible. Yeah. Hor- so horrible. So um, that said, you have a very unique uh, concept or you've created something very unique in support of animal humane society and uh it it is it is breathtaking and we're going to be moving into the conscious kingdom uh which is the book that you have created and we did this amazing book signing event uh actually that we'll talk about as well um and folks we're going to take a really quick break here but when we come back we're going to talk about the book that you have created and the highly unorthodox direction that you took on this because honestly it's breathtaking before we do go to break though i just want to say folks if you have a quick minute tina what is the site because this is a very visual thing what is the site that folks can come into and or go on to 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 see what you've done uh it is consciouskingdom.com ConsciousKingdom.com. Fantastic. Go take a, uh, an advantage, take advantage of this moment. Go refresh your drink and hit your phone or whatever. Bring this up so that you guys can see what we're about to talk about. Totally cool. This is drinking the style. with the animals, grunts and squeaks and squawks with the animals. This is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me, Polynesia. I can't wait to start. It's incredible. It's impossible. But it's true. A man can talk to the animals. It's a miracle. In a year from now, I guarantee, I'll be the marvel of the mammals. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drink in the Style, no doubt, your favorite weekend program here on AM 950, and hopefully, I'm going to say, in your top five of podcasts? Yeah, I think so. Introduced by Rex Harrison, the most famously arrogant man in Hollywood for a period of time, I'm your host, Gregory Rich, and we are talking with Tina Wilcox, author of Conscious Kingdom 
Finally, Tina, we are at the nitty-gritty, the thing that we most want to talk about, Conscious Kingdom, the book that you have authored. Tell us about it. Okay. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Buckle your seatbelt. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen. As I said, I've worked in animal welfare for a long time, and so I have had the exposure to a lot of different animals. And I choose to believe that animal emotions and um, a lot of different uh, aspects of animals are very much like human beings. Now, scientists have debated this for years, Mm -hmm. uh, but in the last 10 to 15 years, because of technology, there's better testing and, you know, Brainwave activity, where they're responding. It's not, yes. Yes. And so that's starting to change. And uh, there are a lot of people, not just animal welfare people, but a lot of people who, you know, if you bring the topic up, they're like, oh, you know, my, my, you know, my dog lets me know this and that. I've seen sadness. I've seen this. I've even seen animals shed tears. Really? Oh, yeah. Really? Yep. And um, so anyway, uh, I was on the board of the Animal Humane Society, and uh, we were talking about fundraising and kind of the old way of fundraising for most animal welfare organizations is they rely on, you know, five or six, uh, you know, high net worth donors, and that is not the way they can go forward in the future. They have to come up with a different way because this next generation is not giving that same way. They are giving, but yes. they, you know they're they have multiple. Uh, you know, it's no longer the endowment. It's ex- no longer the large exactly, check. It exactly. is because this is a generation accustomed to the concept of crowdsourcing uh, funding. Exactly, mm-hmm. and um, and. I they put me on the board because of my marketing background, my product development background, you know, and I look at things differently um, from a financial standpoint and a donorship standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I was always kind of harping at board meetings about the fact that we had to come up with an evergreen strategy, mm-hmm. like maybe we come up with a line of you know animal products like leashes and collars and things that they can sell mm-hmm. it at the shelters because you have a captive audience you know oh i just adopted a dog i don't have a collar i don't have a leash i don't have a bed i don't have food and trying to you know maybe it's just a bridge for them mm-hmm. between the time they adopt and get home mm-hmm. and later on they might get the fancier you know stuff and um the board, you know, they'd listen, but um, a lot of the people on the board obviously have not done what I did in my career. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know how it works. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I decided um, one day uh, to, I was, I was sitting in my living room and um, over the years, People have given me taxidermy, mm-hmm. and it's because I feel sorry for it, and mm-hmm. I believe the soul is eternal, 
and that these animals deserve to be honored. Mm -hmm. If you look at other cultures, they do that. Mm -hmm. Ancient Egyptians entombed and embalmed their animals with them. And Native Americans, you know, they believe in spirit animals. And they celebrate when an animal, you know, passes from this life to its next life. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I have... Uh, and anim- I have animals everywhere in my house, but I was staring at a lion I have. And again, most of my animals, except for the ones at the beginning, are humanely procured animals. Which is critical. And we should yeah. sidebar on that and say, what defines a humanely uh, procured animal? Uh, in short, it's an animal that um, died without suffering. Ah. So it died of natural causes. Um, it got, you know, terribly sick and had to be put down humanely. Uh, it might have been hit by a car, picked up by the DNR, because mm-hmm. that's a law. Mm-hmm. You can't pick up roadkill and taxidermy it. You have to get it from the DNR and get a, and get a license to really? do it. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh. And so... Um, there are multiple ways to do that. A lot of times museums will uh, auction off taxidermy that they have because taxidermy ages also mm-hmm. and you know make room for new stuff. So there are lots of other ways to get it. Um, and so in doing this, um, I and you know the beginning ones, I, I mean my first piece of taxidermy was when I was 12 years old. And I found the raccoon. It, the raccoon. I found it in a dumpster. Mm. I was cutting through an alley on my way home from school, and somebody had thrown it away. And I locked eyes with it, and I felt really sorry for it. And I felt like intuitively I could feel its soul. Mm-hmm. And um, so I took it out and built a little shine or shrine in my room. Did you really? Oh, yeah. And cleaned it up and fixed its broken arm and gave it a place of honor. Mm -hmm. And then through the years, people started giving me pieces of taxidermy. But as I got deeper and deeper into animal, the animal welfare work Mm -hmm. that I do, I, I started realizing that I didn't want animals that had been, uh, inhumanely treated, mm-hmm. you know, and died of inhumane. Right, because it's not about the taxidermy. There are people who come in and they will kill an animal for the sake of, I mean, trophy hunting, essentially, is what we're talking about, correct? Yeah, there's trophy, trophy hunting, there's trapping, mm. there's going out and maiming and, you know, um, killing animals for taxidermy. But there's a myth that exists about that because... Not all taxidermists do that. Mm-hmm. There are taxidermists that get animals humanely, like mm-hmm. from the DNR and mm-hmm. and other you know humane organizations that actually have the bodies of animals to do taxidermy because they love animals and they love the art form mm-hmm. of taxidermy. Mm-hmm. The other myth is that the Animal Humane Society should be against taxidermy. Because this is the big thing. I mean, we, we 
The book is a collection of beautifully uh, created animals that were taxidermied. And uh, we'll talk a little bit. Carter did the background and Shelley Mossman, unbelievably talented photographer, did the photography on that. But it it is confusing to people because the assumption is that whenever you see an animal that's taxidermied, it was a trophy of some kind or something. But you, your perspective on taxidermied animals is very different. Right. And um, what I wanted to do is create an evergreen strategy. I wanted to write this book and, and create the animals and create a book that would help people understand what humane treatment is about. And using taxidermy is kind of a paradox, even though this is humanely procured taxidermy, mm-hmm. but it shakes people up yeah. to to read it. And the photography, as you mentioned, is absolutely stunning, and Carter's backgrounds are ac- absolutely stunning. And so um, I started kind of writing it and humanizing these animals. Like, what if they all lived human lives from different periods in time what if they had careers and children and you know they they possessed all the talents and flaws of human beings would it cause us to look at these animals differently would could i create a metaphor that people would refer to when talking about humane or inhumane treatment. Mm -hmm. And so um, the goal was that that people would understand from these fictional stories that, you know, animals are a lot more like us than not. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I started writing the stories and thinking about people that I knew that had different aspects to their lives that were, you know, funny or crazy or intelligent or successful and I created all these different characters and put the book together. It's a a book of short stories Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you really have to see the book to understand um, how the book was created Um, by going to the website there are photos on the website and stories that you can read Mm -hmm. um, that'll give you sort of the essence of the book and then donate the proceeds um, or a portion of the proceeds to the animal humane society to fund this education that they're you know trying to do and the programs and the services and their um just all their work in animal welfare and in the humane treatment arena i mean it's amazing it is literally looking at i mean you've turned things upside down so number one the assumption that taxidermy is inherently anti-humane Right. I mean, it it is an assumption. But what you've done is you've taken animals, you're respecting, you're honoring them um, as long as they weren't killed just for the 
taxidermy aspect. You've taken these these wonderful creatures that we rarely have a chance to see and and experience, and you had this beautiful setup. You've you've taken the animals, you put them in seventeenth, eighteenth century textiles. You've created entire stories around these animals. And then you put it together into the book with the vignette. And I love how you talk about it being a collection of short stories because you have not just anthropomorphized the animals, you have literally lent reality to them. Does that seem right? Is that a Absolutely. good way of putting it? And the thing that is really important to note is that uh, the Animal Humane Society's position on humane treatment is just that. It's alleviating animal suffering. They're not necessarily going after taxidermists or deer hunters or people like that. What they want and their goal is to alleviate animal suffering. Yes, as it should be. So if if it's if a, a animal is humanely put down or um, someone who deer hunts wants to do it for not only the sport of deer hunting, but because we have to have population control. Because we've destroyed predators. Right, around species that overpopulate. Mm-hmm. Um, it would The ecosystem would fall apart if we didn't do that. And uh, so they understand all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and it's it's okay. So again, this is such a hard concept to express on the radio, right? Yeah. And it's and it's an intellectually complicated concept because it it's thrown in the face of what people as shorthand understanding uh, about humane treatment of animals uh, runs through. Yes. And so so the book that you've created is and we haven't even talked about the you know the the again the textiles and what have you but what you are saying is that it is an homage it is an appreciation of an animal in the sense of it it has it has its role it has its place within the entire animal kingdom we have a place within the animal kingdom and and you have have created something that really drives that home that connects humans and animals in a way that has never been done before well and most importantly suddenly as i was thinking about this and mulling it around in my head and this whole evergreen strategy to get more of a flow of funding into the animal humane society um i I started to think, you know, this could be more than just a, a creative outlet or a way to honor the souls of deceased animals. It could be about giving departed animals stories so animals still living would have a chance to create their own. Yes. I mean, it is, uh, honestly, it's it's so hard to express on the radio. So if you haven't gone to ConsciousKingdom.com to take a look at this book and see what Tina has generally created, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're, because this will change the way you look at animals, at the concept of tax, taxidermy. It, it's, it's, it's truly breathtaking. I, honestly, I, I don't know how to express it clearly. It's, it is very hard. Mm-hmm. to just do it, you know, verbally without seeing the images. But 
as you well know, you hosted uh, my book release, and we had a huge crowd of people that came, and some people had never seen any of the photographs or didn't really know about it, and they came in and their jaws dropped. Yes. You know, they thought it was beautiful and magical, and, and I sold a of books, which the Humane Society was thrilled with because they get a you know a very large portion of the sales. Basically, anything above cost. I mean, you're doing everything you can to exactly. support mm-hmm. exactly, and it makes an, a wonderful Christmas gift for someone who you know loves animals or and loves coffee table books and you know art. It, it makes a great gift because it's not only a book, it's a, it, it's a donation. It is. It is. And again, it's so hard to express, but I mean, this is literally some of the most beautiful photography, the most beautiful backdrops, by the way, Carter, congratulate Carter was the, the, the person who did the, uh, the artwork on the animals, but it is, it is transcendent in the sense that this will make you understand that really the line between human or homo sapien, I should say, and the animal kingdom is so insanely fine. We have the same foibles. We have the same thing. And what you have done is, you know, you, you've put that in print. And it is absolutely breathtakingly fabulous. I wish there was a way that we could actually convey it to folks as we're listening um we have to take another quick break when we come back we're going to talk more about the book of course and until then this is drinking the style and you're listening to gregory rich on the progressive voice of minnesota come back in a moment on her way to work one morning down the path alongside the lake Tender-hearted a woman saw a poor half-frozen snake. His pretty colored skin had been all frosted with a dew. Oh, well, she cried, I'll take you in and I'll take care of you. There's certain songs that I hate having to interrupt, and that is one of them, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't heard that song, I don't know why it's not more popular. It's called The Snake by Al Wilson, right, Johnson? All right. Excellent. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Drink in the Style on AM 950. I'm Gregory Rich, and I'm speaking with Tina Wilcox, and we are struggling to convey to you the beauty and the brilliance of the book that Tina has created. So let's talk, Tina, more about the specifics of the book now so here's what we've laid out for you this is a humanely procured taxidermy these are beautiful animals that died well and we are respecting their bodies as a result now in order to make people understand that animals are beings that they have uh, thoughts and emotions the way we all do as well what you've done is you've created this absolutely beautiful collection of photography and then you've written short stories. But I'm a vain man. I am a person who appreciates clothing and textiles and things. And one of the things that you did is that you, as a, what was the phrase you used earlier? 
an artist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that. Uh, I, I'm a flea market whore. <laughs> I needed to make you say it on air. I really, really did. You have a, you have gone to flea markets literally all around the world. You have collected textiles and jewelry and beautiful things um, that uh, that you have applied now to the animals. So talk a little bit about how you have further anthropomorphized the animals by putting them in these beautiful garments. Well, to be able to convey uh, and you know, that animals are a lot like us, a lot more than some give them credit for. I wanted to create uh, a book that humanized animals. So, um, and, you know, the interesting thing is adults like the book. Kids actually love the book. I bet they do. Yeah. I bet they and, do. And um, so I was lucky enough to travel a ton in my job. And I would... To make extra time to go to flea markets in all these different countries. And part of my job, I got to search for new product inspiration in these flea markets. And um, the books, you know, it started out, I started writing these stories and creating these costumes out of some of the bits and pieces and textiles and the things that I had collected. My studio is like, a hoarder's studio <laughs> with all this stuff I've been in down. it. It is chock full of beauty. And um, and I worked with a technical seamstress who did uh, does costumes for the children's theater, and also Carter doing the scenic backgrounds, which are beautiful. And Shelley Mossman, who photographed the whole uh, every set, and and she's amazing. And we created just these beautiful you know, kind of scenes that are honoring these animals. But also the stories are, they go from, you know, kind of almost a little simple to complicated, sad to happy, uh, you know, kind of crazy to um, sedate and they represent all of the talents and flaws of human beings because that's that's the goal is to get people to look at them in a different light and treat them better. And the question is, would we treat them better if we looked at their humanness, quote-unquote? Yes. And people forget a lot of times that, well, we're all part of the animal kingdom, we're 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 separated it's a very fine line in which separates us in the taxonomy amen and and so um the humane society in correlation with this has a goal of making minneapolis st paul the community the most humane community in if not the nation in the world and they are building a super shelter they have a capital campaign going on to fund this and the super shelter is going to be absolutely amazing and um so you know a portion of the proceeds of this book are going to feed into basically underwriting this uh whole project and to make this a humane community or the most humane community, 
you have to look at all the different segments. We have to get rid of the puppy mills here. We've got to get people reporting, you know, abuse situations. We've got to, you know, the legislation piece has to feed into that. Big business testing here, you know, on animals. I mean, all of that has to rise up and participate in making that dream come true. Yes. And you can participate by buying the book. Yes. It, it literally, again, this is a gorgeous uh, item. You can buy it at Habitation. You can buy it in a number of places. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to continue this conversation with a special show coming up in a week or two. Until then, sadly, we have to sign off. But I'm going to throw a quick quote from Paul Schaefer on this. You ready? When you look into the eyes of an animal you've rescued, you can't help but fall in love. Good night, everybody.